Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day that we get to gather, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that as we dive deeper into your word now, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to see you more, our need for your mercy, Lord, and how you graciously flood that mercy over us each and every single day. Lord, transform us, change us, and may we leave here today empowered by your Holy Spirit. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. So here we are. We're in the third week of our series, Jonah, God's Relentless Mercy. So if you do have your Bibles, we're going to go ahead. We're going to jump right into things. If you turn to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. I know we've been in Jonah chapter 1 for a little bit. We're going to start moving forward now into the next chapter. Now, while you turn there, we'll kind of jump back and just catch back up to where we're at. Because over the last few weeks, we've been walking through this part of Jonah's life and ministry. And we've seen the way that God is relentlessly merciful to Jonah and to his people. And since the beginning of the story, Jonah has been on a downward trajectory a downward movement where he's been drifting further and further away from the call that God has given him and further and further away from the presence of the Lord. Every step that he's taken, every move that he has made has just pushed him further in the complete and opposite direction of God and what God has told him to do. Now, this wasn't always the case for Jonah. His relationship wasn't always in this kind of like deliberate disobedience because Jonah is a prophet, He's a mouthpiece for the Lord. And for him to be a prophet, there was a, there was a time, and at the beginning of this book, we see that he's close enough to the Lord that he not only has a relationship with him, but he's able to hear the Lord's voice call him to tell him directly what to do. Now, I don't know about you, but that's sometimes what I wish that God would do is he'd make it a little more clear for me to know exactly what I need to do. And Jonah's in that position. But what we've seen is he's gone so far away from that. He has deliberately disregarded it that now he is plunging into the sea. He's going down into the depths towards not just a physical death, but a spiritual death as well. He's done everything possible to ignore God's attempt to get his attention. But the beautiful thing is the Lord has been in pursuit of Jonah the entire time. He hasn't stopped. He hasn't wavered. He continues to pursue Jonah working to get his attention. And as we've seen, he's done some pretty drastic things to do so, right? He's hurled the winds. He's stirred the seas. He's calmed the seas. And still, Jonah, he doesn't get it. He continues to act in rebellion. He continues to act selfishly and self-preserving everything that he does. He even gets to the point where he tries to convince these pagan sailors that he's on the ship with to throw him overboard that would, as he hoped, lead to his death so that he couldn't do what God told him to. But instead of letting him drift into the sea to die spiritually, to die physically, God acts, and he acts in another big way. And that's where we pick up today in verse 17. So if we have our Bibles, we see that it says in chapter 1, verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
Now, we have this picture of Jonah. Now, this is probably a pretty accurate representation of what it was like. <laughs> this is where Jonah's at now. He's been drifting into the sea, and he's swallowed by this fish. Now, I will say this is the moment most people have been waiting for, but it may be disappointing because even though we have what is likely the most famous fish in the history of the Mediterranean Sea, the fish isn't really much of a focus. The focus is on the God who appoints the fish. The God who has had the powers over the wind and the waves and the sea. And now we see cre the creatures in the sea too. The focus is on that creator, God, who's mercifully pursuing Jonah. And as we've pictured, let's get back into like how we've pictured some of these things. We've seen the distance that Jonah has traveled with the map that we had a couple weeks ago, right? He's going a long way away from God. Then last week, we kind of saw the seas, and we saw how rough and how frightening the waters and the seas would be as, as God was hurling these winds. And now we get to this place, and I want you to, it's probably not this cute, but Jonah being in the belly of a fish. Like, that's got to be disgusting, right? Like, if you've ever, like, caught a fish and filleted it, like, it's not like this cute scene inside of the stomach of a fish. It's pretty gross. Being in the belly of any creature, I'm guessing, is one of the most disgusting experiences that you could probably have. And Jonah's there not just for a little while, but for three days and three nights. It's got to be dark and musty. The smell has got to be horrendous. And as Jonah's in there more, he probably can't even tell because his own stench is probably rivaling that of whatever is dead and rotting inside the fish too. I mean, to be there, that's got to be a low point, right? Like, that's a travesty. That's a tragedy. It's the farthest that Jonah could have fallen is being in the belly of this fish. And even though he's been deliberately disobedient, disobeyed the Lord, God's mercy is seen here. God hasn't forgotten Jonah and left him to rot and die because, in fact, this fish has saved him, right? This fish is a symbol of God's mercy towards Jonah. And it's not just to save him physically, but what we're going to see as we walk through this, this is a, a saving that's going to start to restore his soul. God's mercy being played out. God is beginning the work of this heart restoration that Jonah's going to go through. But how do we know Jonah's going to go through this? What tells us that that happens? Well, that's where we arrive at the, in chapter 2. So we've finally made it to chapter 2 with Jonah's prayer. And in this moment of desperation, in this moment of darkness, depression, this prayer gives us a signal of a change. So let's start in chapter 2, verse 2, and uh, where Jonah, also note, this is the first time he speaks to the Lord, the first time he talks to him. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried out, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. It's a different tune Jonah's starting to sing, right? Something has changed. Something has shifted. 
Uh, there's a theologian and author, Sinclair Ferguson, who highlights this change. He has this wonderful quote about it. He says that the deeper work of God took place not in the belly of the fish, but in the heart of the prophet. Not in the realm of nature, but in the realm of grace. Not in the realm of nature, but in the realm of grace. Jonah was lost. He was condemned, unable to unlock the doors of the prison. And when he reaches the deepest depths, he's in total darkness. He finally responds. He cries out to the Lord. And in doing so, he recognizes the deep he's in. And he gives glory to God. He gives him praise. He finally turns to face the Lord when this whole time he's been facing and running away from him. And his concern here, it's striking. He's not even over his own physical preservation, right? He's not saying, and Lord, I'm in this belly and this is terrible. Please save my life. It's about his soul, him turning to the Lord, him giving him praise. Because Jonah's so far been the poster boy for someone whose heart is completely hardened, like stone, the hardest stone that there is. But now he experiences the life-altering power of God's mercy. But it wasn't until he reached the darkest and deepest moments of his life that he could finally see the light. Pastor Tim Keller, he, wrote, he writes a whole lot about suffering and pain, and he has this wonderful quote where he says, the usual place to learn the greatest secrets of God's grace is at the bottom. It's at the bottom. And isn't that Jonah right here? He's at the bottom. This change of heart, it isn't taking place like while he's on the ship or even when he's falling in the sea. It occurs when he hits rock bottom. Everything he's done to this point has actually deserved death. Deserved that death. Yet God is merciful and God is gracious. And it's God who softens the heart of this prophet. It's not Jonah. He hasn't done something himself. He hasn't all of a sudden redeemed himself and earned this change. God is doing this himself. And it's at this point that as Jonah recognizes the gravity of his descent down, that he finally begins his ascent upwards. He finally begins on a path back towards God. We can look at it and go, well, you know, Jonah's kind of taking like a thousand steps backwards and one step forward, but it's one step forward. It's one step forward. And this prayer paints a vivid, vivid picture that I think most of us probably can relate to. That it'll probably resonate in a lot of our hearts and minds. Have you ever been at the place where you've wanted to say, maybe not so beautifully and eloquent, but in some way, shape, or form, you've said, the floods surround me, the water passes over me, the waters close in on me, I'm falling away from you and I'm out of your sight. Have you felt that way? Have you felt that dark? Have you felt that low that a belly of a fish could seem like a good place to be? My guess is it's not a matter of if we have, but when and how often that we've been there. When we felt those waves crashing in and God couldn't seem further away. And if that sounds like a terrible place and if it felt like a terrible place, well, it is a terrible place. That's the place Jonah's in. That's, that's what separation from God is like, right? 
When we feel separated, that's the reality of it. It's not, there's nothing to soften sin. There's nothing that makes it like nice and cute. It's dreadful, and it destroys us. It tears us apart. There's brokenness and hopelessness. It can seem like everything good is gone. And then we're like, it's like quicksand. And if we ourselves, under our own power, try to fight out of that, you feel like you're sinking even faster. And maybe we've been there in the past. Maybe, maybe you're there right now today. Maybe that's where you feel like you're spiritually at or you're physically at. That you're fighting and you fight more you fight, the faster you sink. You say, all I see is darkness and Lord, I feel spiritually dead. And Jonah's prayer at the beginning and kind of what, what the psalmist says in Psalm 13 rings true for you. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But while all seems lost, while all seems lost for Jonah... Like all hope is gone. There's good news. There is good news. As dire as that is, there's good news because there's gospel news. And that's that God is relentlessly merciful. He's drawing us back into his presence. God is fighting for us. Christ is dying for us. He shows forgiveness and compassion. Because he doesn't just get rid of that sinful debt that we accumulate. He pays it off himself. It's not just wiped out. It's paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the best news for us. And that's the best news for Jonah. Even though it's before Jesus was born, that gospel news is still there. God is still merciful. And that's what reshapes Jonah's heart. And that comes out in his prayer. We see in verse 4, you can see those moments in a couple of these verses. Yet again, I shall look upon your holy temple. In verse 6, yet you brought me up from the, uh, brought up my life from the pit. And in verse 9, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen, right? Amen. In the midst of darkness, he prays. And he prays hopefully. He still feels disconnected, but there's hope in his prayer. And he gives thanks to the Lord and praises him. And this starts to sound more like the prayer of a prophet. And we see at this moment that Jonah's at, that even in the darkest moments, God restores the heart of the broken. That even in the darkest moments, God restores the heart of the broken. As his heart is being transformed, it's no longer death that floods over Jonah, right? But it's God's relentless mercy and grace that begin to flood over him. And the result is a heart that's recalibrating towards the Lord. And it's a heart of stone that is melting. That's, the, that's what God is doing for Jonah and that's what God's doing for us. God is pouring his mercy over us. Now, it doesn't change the fact that life can be hard, that pain is real, that the tribulations of the world can overtake us. Jonah's still in the belly of the fish while he's praying this, right? He is still in a place that is separated from the Lord. He has not fully been restored, but God has started the process of doing that. Now, there's a time in my life when, when I felt close to Jonah, and sometimes I would, I would have been 
at a point where I've been like, you know, Jonah's got it easy compared to where I feel like right now. Have you ever <laughs> done something like that? Maybe. Maybe I'm the only one. But you go, we, we had a number of tragedies that our family was going through, that I was going through, and I got to the point where I said, you know what? With all this garbage in the world and in my life, there's no way God could exist. There's no way. Because if there is any God that exists, I don't care how personal he is, like, there's no, like he would do something. This is ridiculous. What kind of God would allow these things to happen to people that he says he loves and would even die for? God couldn't be real and he couldn't be merciful. And I looked at those as reasons as to why I could sit there and explain away to people this is why going to church and praying is a waste of your life and a waste of your time. And after years of floating hopelessly through life, living each thing, saying, well, Lord, maybe if I do this, I'll feel worth something. Maybe, Lord, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do this, you know, well, I wasn't saying Lord, but just thinking these things will give me purpose, fulfillment, and kind of help heal my heart from all this stuff. But every one of those things only pushed me further and further away. And it wasn't until a point in the middle of the night, middle of the night, I'm in my college duplex, that I finally hit the ground and get on my knees and say, Lord, you're what I need. And I don't know what the heck that means, but I just know that. I don't know what's going to take place. And you know, the, the, the thing is, like, that didn't heal everything. Everything wasn't better. Life didn't get good. People didn't come back from the dead. And the pains that I experienced weren't all of a sudden gone. But what God started to do was to heal a broken heart and to restore a broken soul. That quote by Keller rang true again, that the usual place to learn the greatest secrets of God's grace is at the bottom. Because God revealed to me what I couldn't see before. He was restoring my heart. He was taking those terrible circumstances, all the disobedience and disarray that my life was in, and he was using those things actually to pull me closer to him. He was using those things to show me how great he is. It changed everything about my perspective on not just God, but how God worked in the world. And I actually saw that those terrible pains didn't show that God didn't exist. What they showed was that I was a man in desperate need of a Lord and Savior. That's what it revealed to me. Because God can use those broken pieces of our lives, the confusion and the hurt, and he can move in those dark places. And that's the darkest place where he shines the light of Jesus Christ the brightest. The great healing he does is not just physical healing for us because that's great and that's wonderful and we praise God for us for that. But the greater healing that God does is the healing of our hearts because that is eternal. That lasts forever. And I venture to guess that there are some of us in here, maybe a lot of us, who knows, maybe even all of us that are in desperate need of our hearts being healed in something right now. That there's a pain so deep that we've pressed down so far and it's so dark that we felt like there's no way out so we try to just meander through it. Or it's right there at the surface and it's bubbling and it's boiling each and every single day. Maybe you feel trapped, imprisoned, like the floodwaters of anger, resentment, life, pain, depression, disappointment, whatever it may be, are about to drown you 
and suffocate the life out of you. But the good news is that God is merciful. He's gracious. He's abounding in steadfast love. And we have hope in a life eternal, not just life here, a life eternal where all that pain and suffering exists no more. And we only have that life in Jesus Christ. God's able to take all that and use it to bring him glory and to draw us closer to himself and show how great he is and that he paid the price for the restoration. When he was whipped and beaten, broken, crucified, died, and then overcame death and the grave. And if that's where you're at, if that's where you've ever been, Jonah's prayer can be your prayer too. It can be my prayer. Crying out to the Lord, the Lord of salvation. And that brings us to the last verse of chapter 2. And here's a nice little visual for us on what this may be like. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. So Jonah's plunged into the waters, right? He's dead to his sin. He goes down and is about to die. He goes through this process, and he's what? He spit out onto the land with new life. Does this, some of that language sound a little familiar? Doesn't that sound like baptismal language? That we go into the water... Dead to our sins, we go into the water, we die to ourselves, and God shines his life and he raises us and gives us new life. He gives us new life on dry land. That rings true. I mean, look at, look at Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea. The Israelites that go into the Red Sea slaves and walk out on dry land free. That's the baptismal language that we experience as we're grafted into God's family. And that's what we're offered here today. No matter the depths, Christ gives us new life. And as we descend into those dark and deep places, we have new life in Jesus Christ. And again, it doesn't change instantly the situations we are in because those pains are real. Life can be hard. But we no longer have to do, endure those things of life on our own strength. Because that always runs out and comes up short. No, we have new life on dry land. So, the big question now is, so what does that look like moving forward, right? And that's what we're going to start exploring over the next couple weeks. To get you hooked. To bring you back. <laughs> or to check out the podcast. But that's what we'll, we'll see next. That Jonah now begins this new journey. And guess what? Here's a slight spoiler alert for it. It's a little messy. Life's messy. We have this new life, but sin is still there. Brokenness is still there, but God is still moving. And that's what we're going to keep exploring over the next couple weeks. To see how God continues to be merciful when he gives us new life. It doesn't end with new life. It continues all the way through it. And as we wrap up today... I want to leave us with this prayer. And I want us to pray this prayer all together. And it's a prayer that's from the brand new Anglican prayer, Book of Common Prayer that, that is just out now. And it's, a, it's called a collect. It's a collect for the day. And so it's a prayer for this Sunday specifically. And I thought that it kind of fit with where we're at in Jonah's journey. So if you would, uh, please go ahead and stand up.
and let's pray this prayer together. Oh God, your never-failing providence sets in order all things, both in heaven and on earth. Put away from us all hurtful things and give us those things that are profitable for us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.